But one, one thing was a little bit weird. We pulled up in the car, and then the Yumbo Visma team bus um, let out all the grey water. Um, not the poo or the wee water, but the shower water. So me and Brad were thinking of scooping some up in a, in a, in a bottle because it would basically the shower water of a Wout Van Aert. Uh, and maybe if we drunk some of that, it would make us a little bit stronger on a bicycle. Bonjour and welcome everybody to another rest day episode of Sigma Sports Presents the Tour de France Unplugged with me, Matt Stevens. Yes, it's me. It really is. And um, recording this, I'm in or just on the edge of Carcassonne in, let's be fair, a, a pretty, well, low rent hotel. Um, it's not the fault of uh, GCN Eurosport at all because I wasn't supposed to be doing this particular stint. I was going to mirror Bradley's um, a couple of stints on the tour, but it's gone really well and they wanted to keep me on. So I'm in a separate hotel and it's on a big dual carriageway um, and it's got air conditioning, but the rest of it feels, um, it's quite spartanly appointed, uh, sparsely appointed, should I say. Um, and it does feel I might be in potential like a Young Offenders Institute or something like that. Um, if it, yeah, it's just a little bit, yeah. Da, uh, can, can I do that again? <laughs> I'm just looking around the room and there's nothing to say because it's so horrible. Oh, okay. Do you know what? Actually, on the wall, this is so basically it's just it's blue and white walls, yellow curtains, which are shiny, and we've got them shut because it's so hot. It's hot everywhere, isn't it? But it's particularly hot here. We got on the on the um, on our car yesterday, forty-two degrees, absolutely nuts. Anyway, there's a picture on the wall, and it says, "Love is just a four-letter word." Anyway, um, so there you go. You've you've and, um, and there are some pictures on the internet of my room as well because um, it's just bonkers. Oh, I've got a bunk bed, and I've laid out all my stuff on it. I've got my pants, socks neatly packed. I'm a, I'm a bit of a, of a stickler for making sure my underwear is washed as I go. Um, so there's no dirty washing, which is quite nice. I've got my shoes neatly arranged under the bed and on the top shelf, um, I've got a pair of shorts hanging. And I'm just looking above me, there's a Chang Hong TV attached to the wall, precariously balanced underneath the air conditioning unit. And my Calvin Klein's are just draped over the top of the Chang Hong TV. Right, so that you've, I've set the scene quite quite well, I think. Um, back to the racing a little bit. We have had an absolutely incredible week of racing since I last chatted to you. And there have been, as you would expect, uh, lots of weird and wonderful things happening on the ground here at the tour as well. So in this episode, I'll be looking back at the past six stages, which have been just brilliant. They really, really have. Everybody's saying it's one of the best tours in years, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and I'm also going to look ahead to the next six stages, which will take us into Paris, and of course, ultimately decide who is going to win this tour. And we'll also take a sneaky peek at how my fancy team are getting on as well. And I've got news for you. I think I might have moved up at least three places. So there's plenty to look forward to including Victor Hugo Painter's car park videos, projectiles from the caravan causing near-death experiences, nuggets, goujons, and yops, and some very hot weather, making everybody feel a bit Twilight zone -y. But first up, this. Random letter. Alert. Random Random We've got tweet. Alert. It is time for a random, random letter, letter email, alert, tweet, well, email. DM. So basically, I've got an alert. It's random. Um, and the first one um, is from somebody called Alan. Um, right. Hi, Matt. And I haven't seen this before. Um, hi, Matt. My query is, as a human man, interesting, 
I am hardwired to look up in the sky anytime I hear a helicopter and marvel at it for a few seconds before going on with my day. <laughs> being at the tour, I've become immune to this. Oh, so being at the tour, have you become immune to this or do you still marvel at them on a daily basis? Please wish my dog Sam well, as he's feeling a bit sick at the minute. Thanks, Alan. Well, first up, um, thanks for getting in touch, Alan. Secondly, Sam, if you're listening, which you probably are because dogs can hear uh, very well, in fact, um, get well soon, pal. Um, and I'm reaching out through the internet and ruffling his his tousled hair or fur on the top of his head. And um, and to answer the, the initial question, I do look up. We all do here at the tour. Everybody looks up when there's a helicopter. And there was an amazing moment on the top of Alpe d'Huez. It was like a scene from Apocalypse Now without the death and destruction. Basically, there was four helicopters uh, simultaneously just landing and these VIPs getting out. Um, I think it was. I think there were dignitaries and maybe even politicians. And it, and all my hair was blowing. It was like being in a film. Dust was kicking up off the ground. Um, and there's lots of helicopters at the tour. So I always still look up. Um, and back in the day, before the Tour de France had flag-to-line coverage, generally speaking, once the helicopters took off and they started to film, that was a moment that generally was the catalyst for the peloton to start racing because they used to do generally these pianos, used to rub two or three hours just easy. When the helicopters went up, that was when it started. So helicopters, significant in the Tour de France. But thanks, Alan, and hope you're well. Right, next up, we have this. Um, dearest Matt, hello from Ohio. Hello. Um, thank you for getting in contact. Uh, right, based on the super hip Trey Fashionable bracket um, with a French accent, Close bracket, Palace and Rafa collab. Which team do you think would benefit most from a fashionable collab? Uh, follow up, which non-cycling brand would you like to see collaborate with a UCI team? Thanks very much. Well, we've already, we're already trying with the second question. Non-cycling brand, me and Bradley have reached, me and Bradley Wiggins have reached out via social media um, to Yop. Uh, which are basically a part of Yop Play, the, the the big dairy company, to see if we can get sponsored by Yop. And I think a Yop cycling team would be absolutely magnificent. I really, really do. So Yop, if you're listening, um, or if any employees of Yop are listening, get in contact via the usual channels, which I'll list in a minute. Um, so which team do you think would benefit from a most fashionable collaboration? I think the team that needs a little bit of an overhaul um, from a fashion perspective, for me, would be Intermarché Wanted Gobert. Now, they have punched above their weight this year, not taking anything away from their performances. Um, but that kit, hey, um, there, there is a certain charm about it. it. It does look like it's it was designed in the 1990s or uh, they've given it to a sixth form project to design uh, on a very, very low budget. Um, so I think they could do with a little bit of an overhaul. But saying that, Sometimes I think that Peloton needs a team that don't necessarily look good because it's a conversation point. Uh, and uh, there's a sort of uniqueness to a strange, weird-looking kit that nobody would really want to wear, to be honest with you. But saying that, I love the team. They're riding well, uh, but the kit is just strange. Right. Oh, that's from, from Jordan um, in Crocs. He wearing Crocs. Well done. There, I saw uh, Charlie Wiedis' Crocs. The Palace Crocs are absolutely nuts. I, I think... Yeah, uh, everybody's talking about that kit. Uh, I tried to get my hands on some, but it's all gone. Um, but it is very, very nice indeed. Jordan, thanks for getting in contact. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us either on social media at Sigma Sports or at Real Stevens. That's on Instagram and on Twitter, or by emailing podcast at sigmasports.com. 
Now, in case any of you haven't heard any of this series before, I'm here at the tour working for Eurosport forward slash Global Cycle Network forward slash Warner Brothers forward slash Discovery Plus uh, as a reporter forward slash social media person, basically taking over the Instagram of Eurosport. Um, um, But in my downtime, I'm making recordings on my phone and my portable recorder to document how it feels to be on the ground here. So just weird little things that maybe come into my my mind, people that I see, things that I see, uh, to just give you a little bit of a feel and a texture of my experience on the ground. Now, my first clip um, in this podcast was recorded shortly after we finished the last podcast and I went out for a rest day bike ride. Then on stage 10, we had a car bonnet lunch. Um, Brad and I also saw Victor Hugo Penner filming what looked to be a Monty Python sketch. And in Abbeville, I reflect on whether Wout shower water would be worth bottling. So out on a rest day ride, um, I'm exhausted. Did the pod. Um, found this col, it's called Col, du, col de la Fou, which is uh, the light. I think Fou means light or to light a match or traffic lights is phew in French but um, it's about 6 k's pretty much sea level up to 1100 metres which is quite a big climb actually um, I've no problem doing it on my Bromley but I've only got gears 3 and 4 so it was like slight weight training and some of the steep bits I literally was zig- luckily it was a quiet road just been zigzagging from side to side and um, mercifully for me there's a cafe at the top of the climb and there's nobody here apart from me actually I can just see a bloke across the road on a little recumbent with a flag um he's got arm warmers on oh my god he's got a hat underneath his helmet what on earth is he doing it's absolutely boiling anyway I've got um, a coca-cola and a cafe au lait which there's probably about a pint of milk in this bloody hell the bloke's been quite generous he's left me the jug with half of the milk in it um, somebody's sawing some wood in the background um, it's absolutely it's just so tranquil um, or tranquil as the French say there's a bloke just opposite in the car park emptying his refuse it looks like he's got a selection of like paper items and also bottles which he's just emptying into the recycling bin um, he's wearing grey shirt I can't, actually don't, can't tell if it's a man or a woman but it's quite a way off my eyes aren't like what they were but wearing a polka dot hat hmm so uh, lunchtime uh, where, where are we we're in the Alps where are we heading towards what's Negev. the name Legev Megev Megev heading towards Megev um, we're only about 40k's ahead of the race actually but we popped into a little casino not to gamble to shop because it's the name of a supermarket. In fact, Agitoile Mondial, back in the day, in the early noughties, used to be called Casino. They were sponsored by the supermarket, the same team. Uh, but no, what have we got? Well, I've got um, uh, sushi, little sushi wraps with avocado in. I've also got some, what are these called? Um, Goyozas. A yoza. And what have you, what have you got there? That's spring rolly. Spring rolly. Kind of thing. They're, they're, they're called nebs in French. Is that? They're nebs. Um, and Pete, well, look at that. I mean, that's an absolute sensation. That's a, that's proper sushi guy. You've got chopsticks as well, haven't you, mate? But I don't mess around yet. So I've got um, salmon nigiri and a nice California roll. 
uh, for our supermarket sushi is rather delicious. What a lovely silky voice she's got. Just moving across now to Thai. Um, again, you've got a, a rather enormous spread there. You're chewing away, but don't mind. Um, talk us through what you've got, because um, that looks special. And also looks enormously symmetrical. I'm in a very cheesy mood, so hence the amount of cream cheese and salmon. Mm. Lovely chicken gyozas, and what a way to have a spectacular lunch. Mm. And we should tell you, we're actually uh, eating our food from the bonnet of our Eurosport 4 slash GCN car. Um, so all our food is heating up rapidly. So it's going to be hot sushi um, sooner rather than later. Anyway, that's the, the toots of uh, one of the, the buses just going by. Yumbo Bisma. It's all getting a bit... This is going to be quite a speedy lunch because the race isn't that far behind us. So just checking out. So stage is finished in Majev. Great win for Magnus Court Nielsen. Magnus. And um, who's over there, Brad? On his own. It looks like a, a sketch from Monty Python, doesn't it? Victor Hugo Painter. What's he up to? Sorry, I'm just eating Pringles. Oh, what flavour? Um... Flame. Sweet chilli flavour. Sweet chilli flavour, they're really yeah, nice. Hugo Penny, he stood on a, on a small sort of ticket tout table doing his piece of camera in the middle of nowhere. Way away from the action. But he is a former Magliers, Maglier Maillot Jean of the Tour de France. He is, isn't he? He, used to, yeah, he, he did actually ride for Phonak, didn't he, as well, uh, back yeah. in the day. I, I raced against him in, um, I think, what well, No, Giro, 2000 he rode, didn't he? But uh, very, very lovely man. Met him in a, a petrol station the other day. Introduced himself. Uh, very nice. But it's quite strange in the backdrop of this beautiful mountain. And then he's there, just talking to this camera on his own. No backdrop. The only backdrop is nature. Just uh, sat looking outside my window here in, um, on the edge of Abbeville. You can probably hear... Um, the sound of pressure washers because I'm just directly looking outside of my window um, the beautiful hills um, there's, a, there's a Mookie D's a drive through Mookie D's where in 2019 we descended from Abbeville awful weather stopped and had a Mookie D's and there was a cyclist from Colombia in there shivering um, freezing cold and they gave him my Eurosport um, coat and then um, next thing I know he's ridden off with it so I've never seen it again. So that's quite significant. And, um, and the hotel I'm stood in now that we're going to be staying in um, wasn't built then. So it's quite new. And I'm just looking, um, we're sharing with teams. I don't always share with teams on the tour. Um, so I've got Bahrain Victorious directly outside me. Um, blokes, the mechanics are washing the team cars. And the other mechanics are just tinkering with all the Merida bikes. Uh, and then over to the right-hand side, I've got Yumbo Bisma. Um, and they're doing pretty much the same thing. And they've got their kitchen bus here as well. So it's amazing, the infrastructure, to be honest with you. Um, but one, one thing was a little bit weird. We pulled up in the car, and then the Yumbo Visma team bus um, let out all the grey water. Um, not the poo or the wee water, but the shower water. So me and Brad were thinking of scooping some up in a, in a, in a bottle because it would basically the shower water of a Wout Van Aert. Uh, and maybe if we drunk some of that it would make us a little bit stronger on a bicycle um, needless to say we didn't actually do that um, but I might sneak out later and try and get a sample anyway I'm going to um, charge my phone um, I've got some free sweets actually in my room here so they're kind of hooky sweets they're not 
take them into the light a little bit. I thought they'd be Haribo, but they're not. And I've just, well, I've got two bottles of Evian, free. I've got, weirdly, I've got two camp beds in my room as well. Um, a picture of an old chap with a, I don't know, a ginger wig beard. So he's got a wig beard on, which is strange. And then I've got two packets of trolley cola party sweets, which are basically fake cola bottles. I've got some trolley sour glufmerchen. Well, I don't know what the hell they are. And then I've got trolley apple pops. Um, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have one now. Hold on a minute. I'll just put the recording device down. I'm going to open this up. Here we go. Just going to pop a cup in my mouth. Um, decidedly average. Well, stage 10, it was an incredible victory by Magnus Court Nielsen. Um, at the time of recording this, unfortunately, he's uh, not in the race, but what an amazing week he's had for EF, uh, especially in Denmark, got the mountains jersey. And I've chatted to the, the DSs at EF quite regularly because they're the guys I know really well, uh, Charlie Wigalius and Tom Southern in particular. Um, and they were saying that he, after he lost the mountains jersey, it was all focused on getting the stage win. But I think it's fair to say that the way that uh, Magnus Scott Nielsen rides. He's a really popular rider. He's quite unusual. He's actually worth a bit of a follow, actually, on Instagram because he does his hotel room ratings. He's very strange by his own admittance, but he just just knew what to do. Just waited, waited, waited. There was a big attack in the final, wasn't there, by um, Luis Leon Sanchez. Fred Wright, um, of course, a guest on the pod, was there too. Um, but Magnus Court Nielsen didn't put his nose in the wind, just followed the wheels and timed his sprint to perfection, uh, narrowly edging out Nick Schultz. We didn't know who'd won. We were watching the finish on the screen just around the corner from the finish line. And for a few moments, we didn't know who'd won. Um, so it took it. So it was really quite tense. And then ultimately, I was right next to Magnus Court. He was sweating, and then Nick Schultz came over and and shook him by the hand. I love that that, that the sportsmanship that you see at races, despite Schultz losing. That would have been his first Grand Tour stage victory. Uh, Magnus Court has won two two stages. That there's still that camaraderie that I absolutely love. But that was a real thriller of a finish. Now on to stage eleven, um, where the race stayed in the Alps, and we climbed. Phew, one of the harder, well, the hardest climb of the Tour de France so uh, this year, the Col de Granon, an unforgettable stage for many, many reasons. Vingago behaving like, well, a superhero. Um, but more importantly for me, personally, um, was my close brush with certain death at the hands of an olive oil sachet cannon. Well, I'm here. Oh, blimey. Literally. <laughs> In Ada. Sorry, uh, I'm here in the Depart village in uh, Abbeville for the stage uh, that finishes on the Col de Granon. We go up the to- Col de Telegraph, the Galibier today, and um, we are in the Skoda stand. It's our little hub. Every morning we come, uh, get a coffee here, plan this strategy for gathering our, uh, you know, videos etc. For the for the, for the Eurosport show. Uh, and we're just right behind the stage today and there's some people, people dancing around firing streamers into the air um, and uh, that made me jump it's basically like a giant confetti cannon um, and we've just seen there the caravan publicitaire go by which has been uh, lovely throwing out gifts to people I nearly got hit in the face by a sachet of olive oil um, which is almost 
as impressive as me getting hit in the face by a packet of frozen chips in the 2019 tour. Uh, but that packet of chips hit me in the face. This olive oil just skimmed past me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I avoided any serious injury. But it's boiling hot here. Uh, we're about to go and speak to some riders about today. But it's, it's going to top out at maybe 35 degrees today. Uh, really warm. But, yeah, you can hear it's uh, absolutely packed with people. It's, it's gorgeous. It's um, yeah. There's a lot of energy at the tour, um, but it did take us nearly 20 minutes just to get to where we are because it's so well cordoned off. Um, so that aside, we're ready to roll for today. And, and uh, sorry about me swearing. Then I literally uh, just was made to jump. Uh, that was uh, quite shocking. First time I think I've uh, maybe sworn um, on the pod. Hmm. Finished the stage, finished a couple of hours ago now, but we're staying at the bottom of the colder ground on it. I thought I'd ride up part of it. I remember it from, as I mentioned a few times, from when I, I was just 16, I'm looking over the valley. Um, first part of the climb was exceptionally hard, not, not just because of the gradient, because a lot of people were riding in the opposite direction. Anyway, kind of on my own now. Um, a few, few fans just walking past who've made it up on foot. But it's beautiful, really uh, quite a serene moment. Uh, I just wanted to see what it was like again after all those years. But what a day in the tour, flipping it, Jonas Vingigo and the rest of his team. Chapeau. I think uh, that could be the defining moment. It's certainly the defining climb so far. But th- this is more like a Giro climb to me. It's, uh, oh, it's just epic. It really, really is. And um, it's quite an opportune moment for me to stop and do this little recording because it gives me a bit of a rest because I'm probably doing around third 25 RPM at the moment because two of my gears aren't working. Um, so I'm in third gear up the colder ground on. Oh, right, a couple of photos and I'll try and do another kilometre. Well, stage 11, eh? Um, victory for Jonas Vingigo. Now, he is in my fantasy team, and he has been from the start because I thought that he would pose the most potent, dangerous threat to Tadi Pogacar, and boy, did he deliver. Um, but the way, I think, when you rewind that stage before the final climb, the way that Jumbo Visma rode and I was tactically exceptionally smart, um, using Primoz Roglic, whose overall aspirations were out the window, to try and isolate uh, Pogaccio, which they did, and then just attack him, repeatedly attack him um, to deaden his legs for later. It clearly worked to treat. Um, it's very unusual you see GC riders going on the attack so far from the line, um, but it was a stage for the ages, up a brutal climb that I, I know from many years ago. Um, and he, he broke Taddy Pogaccio. In, in fact, it was Rafa Mica, wasn't it, on the front, uh, pulling. Um, and for... Um, yeah, for... Uh, trying to bring back Teddy Pogacar. So Micah actually dropped Pogacar once Vingago had attacked and then it all completely fell apart. And the sight of seeing one of the finest, if not the finest rider in the world, slowly slipping back. He was caught um, by uh, Geraint Thomas. Geraint Thomas sat on his wheel, then attacked him. Then he was caught by Adam Yates, Roman Bardi, and he just fell away, didn't he? It was, it was brutal to behold, but that's why we love this sport so much. So it was an absolutely wonderful stage. Uh, and one, I think, whatever the, the outcome of this tour, that stage will be lodged and will remain a permanent fixture in, in most people's memories, I think. Um, an absolute classic.
So next up, it's been a brilliant tour, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, next up, stage 12, the queen stage of the race, um, which finished on one of the most iconic climbs of the tour, Alpe d'Huez. Um, it was a real day. Um, it was a day full of emotions. Um, first, you'll hear the fans on Dutch Corner, and we've had to lower the volume on significantly. Some of them tried to climb into the car, covered this in beer. Um, and you'll also hear my um, immediate reaction to Tom Pigsock's victory as well. Well, just coming up outdoors. This is a the famous Dutch corner. Um, quite calm at the moment. Um, a few people just looking in. I'm with Charlie, one of our producers here. Uh, the crowds are thick. The sun is out. Wow, this is where it gets flipping pretty serious. This is absolutely insane. Uh, the crowds we're just passing through at the moment. So, calme. Yeah. Well, this is incredible. Tom Pickock has just won a stage of the tour. Absolutely insane. Absolutely incredible. A little bit choked up as you can tell. We go to protocol and into him in a bit, but uh, wow, what a ride! What a tour! So, what can you say about stage 12, especially off the back of an epic stage 11? But um, Tom Pidcock, what a marvelous! Marvellous victory. Um, historically significant, the youngest rider ever to win uh, on, on Out Duez. Um, and in, in what style as well? We know how versatile Peacock is, don't we? But the way that he got across, because the break had already gone that he eventually joined. Um, and he did eventually link up with Chris Froome in the valley, dropped Chris Froome on the descent of the Glibier. Um, but he crossed, or not didn't cross the gap fully, but put about a minute and a half into the, uh, the peloton on the Col de Glibier descent. Um, with some of the most insane bike handling skills you're ever likely to see. Um, and that I think arguably that lit up social media more than his actual win. But then to to leave the group that he was with behind with about eight Ks to go. Um, and it was a tight battle. Lee Menkes held him, didn't he, for a while. Chris Froome as well. What a redemptive ride uh, from, uh, from Chris Froome. I think everybody was happy to see him. Um, clearly not back at his best, but near to those, uh, to those days where he could pretty much do what he wanted. So that was an important ride for Froome. But Tom Pickock, it was an absolute joy. And, and I'll be honest with you, when, when you see history being made, and especially when it's a rider that you're fond of, uh, and he's British as well, so there's um, a little bit, um, I don't know, I don't know, I guess we favour the Brits a little bit in terms of emotional resonance, um, but it was powerful. It really, really was. And I was, yeah, I was, I was close to tears at the end, of it, but uh, um, absolutely delightful. And it got to, because it was a British winner, it was really nice. So the production team said that I could be the one to go into the mix zone and interview him after the finish. So that was really nice to look into his eyes. Um, I remember saying to him, you've dreamt of riding the tour. 
um, but did have a dream of winning on outdoors. And he was just looking around. He couldn't quite find the words. And he is quite an eloquent lad. He's a really smart, um, smart young man. Um, but he was he was lost for words. And he would be. Eh? Imagine winning on outdoors in in such style in your first ever uh, Grand Tour. Right then, next up, the race headed into a couple of stages that could have been better suited to the sprinters. Um, although, although this year, um, going into the race or coming into the tour, there are only six stages um, that were nailed on sprint stages. And a couple of those uh, were taken by the breakaway. And the latest being um, the victory by Mads Pedersen got in the break. Um, it was a tailwind, tailwind day. They only ever got a lead of one and a half, two, two and a half minutes. Um, but the, the critical point on that particular stage was when Lotto Sudal uh, lost Caleb Buhn. He crashed on the corner, so they they then didn't start that. They then didn't chase, um, and then very late in the day, Bike Exchange started to chase. But the the firepower in that front group um, with Fred Wright, uh, Pedersen, um, also Filippo Ganna, and that tailwind meant that they're never going to get caught. So uh, that was another opportunity out the window um, for the sprinters. So it's been really hard for the sprinters. The first opening stage, of course, in Denmark, had a couple of sprints there. But then um, it's been a long, long time. So it's for the sprinters, just getting through the Tour de France and making the time cut is exceptionally hard. It's very easy to think that they have an easy time and just wait for the sprint, but they don't. It's it's uh, exceptionally hard, especially given the um, the really attritional conditions from a heat perspective that we'd had. Um, so, well, let's kick off um, this little segment um, of the pod with a start line Goujon review with my Eurosport producer, Pete. Um, then I witness Victor Hugo Pena recording a piece to camera in a car park. Um, now, he does them all over the place, as I've explained, and it's fascinating. Um, I mean, he sometimes he has limited options. It's just even within those limited options, um, in the car park, he he did this piece to camera um, with his little desk, with his microphone and his cameraman and his mate, who must be a producer, I don't know, sat on the floor looking disinterested on his phone, um, but next to some barriers with netting on. And I think there was even a bin just out, just, just in the background. So there's a real, I, I don't know, melancholy and sadness, but also shot through with joy because he talks for ages. So he's he's uh, speaking for Colombian uh, Sports TV. Um, but, you know, we're, we're milling around. We have quite a lot to do after packing the cars up. And he's there for absolute ages of talking into the camera with no script um, in a really bizarre place. And that's why if you look at some old Monty Python sketches, a lot of them are just set in fields with a desk and a chair. I know exactly what I mean. Um, anyway, finally, we reflect, or I reflect, on Fred Wright's phenomenal effort on that particular stage as well. Of course, Fred, a friend of the pod. So we're in the uh, Star Village, me and uh, me and Pete, our producer. Uh, and we, what have we got, Pete? Because this is something we've not done since 2019. Um, just describe what we're actually doing and what we're about to do. So we're at the Goujon stand. Um, it's a wonderful, it's called Espace de Gourmand, I believe, in French. It is, Espace de Gourmand. And basically they serve um, big hot bowls of Goujons and fries. And um, it was a mainstay in 2019, wasn't it, Matt? It was a mainstay. I think we, probably 15 out of the 21 stage, were fueled by chicken, a chicken, like long, thin chicken nuggets. Do you want to taste one and give us a, so pop one in your mouth. Should I dip or should I go? Dip. I go? Dip. Oh, you double dipped. You dipped in the mayonnaise and in the sauce. So, um, how was it? They're better than I remember. They're, 
they're crispy on the outside and soft on the inside. They're like an armadillo. <laughs> I'm gonna just hold that mic just briefly, uh, and I'll just do a quick review as well. I'm gonna go naked, completely naked. Mm, quite nice. Do with a bit more salt. But, um, I see, because you went naked, I had the sauce to saltify it. Yeah. Salify. To salify, yes, yeah, salinify. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's nuggets. Well, um, there's, a, there's something for everybody in this village. Uh, next stop, after beating our chicken goujons, we're going to go and buy me some underpants. For reasons, I'll explain later. <laughs> Just a quick one um, on the phone. Spot, spotted Victor Hugo Pena, me and Brad's mate, uh, doing a race a race report from the car park. Um, bless him. Um, just really weird. It's so surreal. We, we do love him, but it's quite strange. There he is, doing his little. He's got one of his like assistants sat on the floor, obviously on his phone, bored. And then doing the, the bloke doing the camera, and then Victor Hugo Pena just sat under, was stood under a tree with a little podium in the car park next to a fence. There's some strange beauty about it, actually. It's just actually quite lovely. Bless him. Oh, well, that was a brutal, another brutal, hard, tough stage. Simon Gashka's just uh, ridden by, the big smile on his face. Um, of course, Fred Wright, second today, uh, interviewed him just after the finish. Had to let him catch his breath. And he, he looked absolutely drained after being beaten by Mads Pedersen. But what a ride, he's been in three big breakaways as Fred. A really likeable bloke. Uh, so I'm now currently walking back down the finishing straight um, after another really hot day. Windy day, hot. It's about 35 degrees here in uh, St. Etienne at the end of stage 13. So we're really deep into this race now. Uh, but apparently the weather is only going to get hotter and hotter. So, um, yeah, I'm clutching a couple of microphones. Uh, it always gets a bit frenetic and a bit hectic at the finish. Um, and it's made even worse by uh, the, the COVID protocols. I don't understand why they're in place, but it can be quite stressful. Hey, hey, how you doing? Hey. That was a Tari Pogacar, just giving us a bit of a shout as he went by. Still in the, uh, wearing the white jersey. Uh, of course, best young rider. But another day done at the tour. Um, but yeah, I think everybody's getting a little bit fatigued now, especially with this uh, oppressive, oppressive heat. Um, yeah, and there's not a load of nice bikes. I think they're all being weighed actually for the UCI. Um, just coming to the coming to the uh, coming to the podium, the empty podium. Uh, actually, so look, we're not telling you who we haven't had a chat with. Um, we've had Pete on. It's Hannah. Hannah, how are you? Good afternoon, Matt. I am wonderful. It's glorious weather. Very, very hot. I almost look like a rider from Alpacin Phoenix with my uh, salt markings on my t-shirt, on my black t-shirt. But uh, other than that, no, grand, grand. How are you? Uh, um, what, what's happening in front? What's... We have got the green jersey leader, Wout Van Aert, the man who can do everything, the absolute machine, right in front of us. He's talking to uh, Alberto Contador who's just arrived uh, for the first day of this Tour de France, working here with us on Eurosport GCN and Discovery. And uh, Van Aert, yeah, just having a nice little chat there together. That was nice, wasn't it? It was. It was a bit awkward because I've got one of these microphone poles <laughs> sticking out my back and he brushed past me. I nearly knocked him off with my microphone pole. But Can you imagine the, the headlines in the keep in 
every newspaper, Pet News Blood, all of it. Like Can I've, you imagine? My heart is racing, actually. Anna. That was almost a, an, an, almost an international incident. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for guesting on the pod briefly. Thanks for uh, having me. We need to go and cool down somehow. We do. We what? need uh, an ice vest. We need uh, a nice bath here. You know, our uh, our science team behind uh, are yes. really working on those performance games for us. Yeah, uh, maybe a spritzer uh, and uh, yeah. maybe a beer. Would be lovely. Hashtag science. Another corker. Every stage, I think, has been a bit of a classic and um, a really solid win for Mads Pedersen. But um, hats off to friend of the pod, Fred Wright, second place. So he's got, um, I think he's finished three times now inside the top 10, um, but a really battling performance. And uh, when you think that um, when Pedersen attacked, with I think it was about 10 Ks to go, it was Fred Wright that got across um, with Ugo Ul of Israel and they, they dropped Ghana and, and the rest. So it was um, a magnificent ride by Fred. And the thing I like about Fred, because um, I speak to him most days now, is he's just come second on the stage of the tour, beaten by a former world champion. Um, but he's just so chipper. So I gave him, because it's been so hot, I, I run over to him to interview him, but you, you step back for a little bit. And it's a key bit of the post-race etiquette, really, is making sure that you give the riders enough moments to just compose themselves. And then... And he was, you know, out of breath, drinking a Coke and stuff, trying to cool down. And then when I said, Fred, are you ready? He said, yep. And then he just lit up like he hadn't even ridden a bike race. He's such a lovely bloke. Um, And he he moves around a lot when he's talking. He's a little bit like me. He's looking all over the place. His arms are everywhere. Um, But um, a lovely, lovely lad. And uh, I'm sure that he will get uh, a stage win, if not this year, uh, in the next couple of years. And he was our guest on uh, episode 74. Quite a recent podcast and also another fan of Lego too. Right then. Um, on to um, stage 14, um, where another friend of the podcast, uh, Michael Matthews of Bike Exchange, blasted off on the singular best ride of his career. It was a magnificent win, uh, and boy, did he have to work for it. Um, and if you want to listen to a little bit more Michael Matthews, um, it's in episode 33 from March 2021. Um, now, on our way also, on our way to the stage finish, I forced, well, kind of forced, um, I didn't force him. I suggested strongly that uh, my camera operator, Steph from the Netherlands, what a lovely lad he is. He's got an ad- identical twin. Never met him. But he said to me, if his identical twin um, were to step in the car and swap and I'd, and I'd look the other way, he wouldn't know. Um, it's kind of spooky, isn't it? Anyway, I asked Steph to try Yop for the first time and recorded it um, so you can hear that reaction. Then after the race, Alberto Contador told us all about his Mafia Meats collection. Well, uh, a little interlude. They've just jumped into the car. Um, what stage is this, Steph? 14. 14, good test. So I'm with uh, Steph. He's uh, been uh, my, my camera guy for, t- for today. Um, I think probably for the rest of the tour. Uh, so we're together travelling to Monde. Um, we stopped off at a lovely little village, didn't we, for a ham, cheese and tomato sandwich. Out of 10, how would you rate that sandwich? Nine. Nine, yeah, it was definitely a nine, wasn't it? It was good, it was good. Didn't expect it, but it was good. Yeah, and um, we were slightly scared by the wa- by the waitress. Um, she made us feel a little bit uneasy, and 
when she finally brought the sandwich out, she said, this is very special. We've made this specially for you because it wasn't actually on the menu. Um, but there was a slight bit of menace in her voice, so she was slightly frightened. But anyway, um, slightly frightening, shall I say. Now, we've stopped off at a little supermarket, parked in the shade. Um, so already Steph is showing a great deal of Grand Tour experience by making sure where we're out of the sun. But importantly... Um, Steph hasn't ever had a yop before, have you? So no. we've got um, the multi-pack, we've got the mini ones here, and we've both got a vanilla one. I know what it tastes like, it's brilliant, but I just want you to open it for the pod, for the you know the Unplugged podcast, and there you go, that's the click. Um, he's now going to sip it. Let's try it. Here we go. That's good. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Good taste. Yep. Nice. Refreshing. Refreshing, creamy, good, healthy, healthy, all yeah. good. There you go. So that was our mini um, yop review from Steph from the Netherlands. Just having dinner uh, with the team. Um, it, apparently, it's uh, part owned by somebody from the mafia. Um, it's basically in a bowling alley, but it's really nice. Steak, a lot of local artisan foods. Um, and we've got a big meat platter that Alberto just picked up and made a video. He made a video of him discussing all the different sausages and meats, which was which was quite endearing actually. Um, I just thought I'd mention it. He just picked it up, asked Steph, our cameraman, to film him talking through the meats in Spanish. Um, yeah, the uh, français de jour staff are just opposite um, somebody just uh, um, Charlie just looked at me uh, wondering what I was doing um, quite quite wisely really Pete's to my right uh, chomping on a on a on a bit on a on a pickled a pickled mushroom in a big in a big earthenware pot quite unusual uh, Pete um, how does it taste like obviously a mushroom but anything else you want to offer up um, it kind of tastes like um, a mushroom, but pickled. So like a pickled mushroom. <laughs> what a victory by Michael Matthews. Um, he's been knocking on the door. His form's um, been excellent. Um, and he's certainly been trying his trying his, his utmost to get in the moves but today um he was one of the riders to start things to kick things off and it was a really fast start that the starts of most states of the tour have been absolutely brutal speaking to the riders you can't you don't miss a trick this flag to line coverage we're getting means you can see everything but he was a real protagonist early on um, but ended up in a really big group of around 23 24 riders um but with some really very, very capable climbers, Rigoberto Oran, classic specialist Alberto Betiol, um, and, uh, Thibaut Pino, just to, to name a few. Um, so when he got in the move, and I spoke to him afterwards, he was saying he was really worried about the composition, so knew he had to do something different and attack early. Um, and it was Matt Heyman, actually, in the team, the team car that suggested that he go early to break the group up and get a, a nice little group going away. And he did. And, um, and then he went clear, on that, on that final climb, exceptionally hot conditions. We we drove up it and we got caught behind the race caravan. And on our car, it was 40, 41 degrees. Um, it's absolutely boiling hot, but a really steep climb. And he isn't a he's a puncher, isn't he, Matthews? But you really had to dig deep. Got caught by Betiol, Alberto Betiol. Um, and Betiol went past him and he was looking good for the win. But then he pegged him back and 
as soon as he got on his wheel, he attacked him over the top and then soloed two for a, a, a really emotional win. It was five years, I think, since his last victory in the Tour de France. And he's had a, a lean spell last year as well. Didn't win a bike race. Um, but this is the team he started his career off at. And um, I know Matt White, who I speak to most days, the DS there, who's another friend of the pod, was in tears. Um, a really emotional victory. And the thing I like about Matthews, um, apart from his tenacity and his unwavering self-belief, is his expansive answers to questions. And, and again, I had the privilege of going into the mix zone. Me and Bernie mix it. Bernie Eisel generally does all the mix zone stuff at the end of the protocol, but sometimes I get an opportunity to go in there. So we mix it up a little bit. And I spoke to, to Matthews and he gave me, a, I asked him just two questions, I think it was. And, and they were really expansive. And his, his ability to um, dissect what was going on and make decisions on the road was amazing. And the most crucial one for me was, I said, were you afraid when Bettiol went past you? And he said, not really, he said, because I knew I had a 30-second gap at the bottom and I knew I was going well. I knew my numbers were good. So I knew that Bettiol had to go very, very deep to close 30 seconds. So I, when he went by me, I, I knew that he couldn't sustain it. So I just did play my own game, knew that he would, would weaken. And when I attacked him over the top, he had no reply. So that, that ability to calculate uh, with so much at stake and we're going through so much pain is, is just brilliant and he's very very eloquent um, and it was just a, one of my favourite interviews post-race actually was his ability to really not just say I had a great day thanks to my teammates go through that the process of thinking about um, how he's going to win a bike race but absolutely wonderful win um, yeah sorry I rambled on there he's just such an interesting guy and a wonderful bike racer and I think the, the whole paddock erupted. I think everybody was happy to see Matthews win that one. So that leads us neatly in to stage 15. Um, up to yesterday, actually, as I record this right now, um, another flat stage. Well, say flat, flattish. Um, 2,000 metres of elevation, I think there was yesterday, over 200 Ks, but lots of undulating terrain um, that, uh, but ultimately it did suit the sprinters. The one or two were punted out the back. Um, but the big story of the day, was the heat. It was so, so hot. I had to seek refuge in a McDonald's. Here in, um, in Carcassonne um, for stage 15. And as you no doubt will have known, um, the weather is absolutely stifling. Um, clear blue skies, stifling heat um, and we were driving on the motorway from the start today in Rodez and it was 40 degrees it's about 38 and a half degrees I'm walking under some trees at the moment and it's, oh, it's so so hot um, and we stopped we wanted to stop at a supermarket um, me and Pete the producer but it was shut but there was a Mookie D's nearby so we stopped at a Mookie D's sat inside air conditioned um, I had nine nuggets and a little, um, a little chicken wrap, which was quite nice, and I had a barbecue dip with the nuggets. But um, yeah, I think if I'd have taken the nuggets outside after they'd cooled ever so slightly um, in the McDonald's and just walked to the car, I think they could have been reheated by the air temperature and just by the, the heat in the air. Um, so it's so, what I'm trying to say is, is that it's so warm you could reheat nuggets and that I think that just really really puts things into perspective um, uh, and I'm in a hotel on my own tonight because I'm a late addition to the team for this period I'm supposed to be the first 12 days and the last three but now they want me on board for the whole thing so um, more uh, more power to the pod really um, right I'm just gonna try and find a, a can of coke or something but yeah it's nugget hot mm -hmm. 
finally, the sprinters had their day, but it was a close thing, wasn't it? Benjamin Thomas um, of uh, Cofferlis was caught. I think it was only a couple of hundred metres to go um, after an epic ride from him. But Jesper Philipsen um, stole it on the line, late bite lunge for his first ever win um, in the Tour de France. So an emotional one, a hot one, uh, Wout second, Pedersen uh, third. So yeah, finally, the sprinters had their opportunity and they've only got one or two more in this tour. So six stages left in this Tour de France um, and we've still got some big ones to come. So the race is heading. Um, we're in Carcassonne um, for the rest day. We start in Carcassonne tomorrow and we head to Foix. Um, it is a mountain stage, but they don't finish on the top of a mountain. Um, but there's a particularly difficult steep climb. I was talking to Alberto Contador uh, over dinner last night and he says that um, this could be a very, very difficult stage. Uh, it goes up a climb called the Mur de Peguire, which um, is like only 9% average, but the last 4K average 11%, so even steeper than the Col de Granon. And then there's a long descent off and then a, a downhill run into the finishing foie. Um, so not the biggest mountain stage, but one of the hardest climbs of the race still to come. And then, of course, we move properly into the... into the uh, Or we're in the Pyrenees. Move into the Pyrenees. We've got... Let me just... Um, have a closer look at what is on the menu. Um, obviously, I'm podding. This is live, so it's uh, taking a while to load, um, <laughs> as it does. Maybe we can put a, a little bit of a musical interlude in there. But no, then we go to the Perigo. We've got the Otacam coming up as well, which is an epic climb. So we've got two mountaintop finishes at Perigo and the Otacam. Then we have a transition stage. Um, could be one for the sprinters, but I think it's going to be more for the breakaway, um, although it could be a sprint stage. Then the long time trial, one of the longest TTs we've had in the Tour for ages, um, 40-odd K um, to Rock Madur, and then we finally finish on the Champs-Élysées on Sunday, and the race will be finally decided on stage 20, of course. But I think, given the fact that Jumbo Visma have lost two riders yesterday, that's significant. I really, really think that's significant um, with uh, Primoz Roglic has gone and Stephen Kreisweig gone. Um, they're going to be looking towards Sepp Kuss to really uh, do a lot of pulling, I think, in the mountains. Another guest of the pod as well, Sepp Kuss. Uh, we'll slot in what episode that was. Sepp Kuss featured in episode 19 in December 2020. But yeah, so an exciting week. This tour is fight, is is still delicately poised. Although Vingo's got a couple of minutes lead over Pogacar, uh, there is still enough tarmac and still enough difficult obstacles uh, for big gaps to be created if somebody cracks especially if, uh, but saying that, Vingigo is looking as sharp as a knife. He really, really is. Um, so I'm just looking forward to seeing the Pyrenees, really, because um, it's been a few years since I've been on the tour, um, and I love the Pyrenees. Completely different feel than the than the Alps, of course. Um, but the Pyrenees, and, and hopefully up in the high mountains, they'll get a little bit of respite from the heat um, that we're having on the, uh, at sea level, of course. And the region is good for supermarkets. There's a supermarket, it's a, a Leclerc. It's absolutely enormous, um, which I'm looking forward to walking to after I've done this pod. So I think I'm going to go for a bike ride after the pod and then walk the other side of the Arnco. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to trudge down the dual carriageway, basically. Um, not on the hard shoulder, that'd be dodgy, but I'm going to climb the other side and then walk, you know, where all that litter and like bin bags and, and weird stuff and hit the sort of I don't know, car tyres. I'm going to walk through there, then off a slip road to this massive, beautiful Leclerc. Um, and just beyond it is another Leclerc of a similar size, but older. That one's shut down. So this is a, a shining new example of um, of a French supermarket. And I'm, I'm apt 
to be honest with you, I'm physically excited about visiting that today on the rest day. And it will cool me down after a bike ride as well. Um, that leads us to the final segment of this um, of this pod. Um, and that's my fantasy team. So I've done a few swaps, actually. Um, Jonas Vingod, I've not swapped out. He's still in my team. Wout Van Aert, I've swapped in. Um, I swapped him for uh, Matthew van der Poel. So Wout Van Aert in for van der Poel. Caleb Ewan out because he's injured. He's still in the race. Um, and I've swapped in at Dylan Gronewegen because there's two opportunities, I think, for the sprinters. Um, and also, um, I can't remember who I've swapped out, but I've swapped in Michael Matthews. So Matthews is in. Um, and there's another rider as well who's quit the race that I can't remember the name of. And, and because he was quite cheap, I've swapped him in with Lucas Obsian of Team Arcare Samzig. He's a great rider, but the reason I got him really was because he's only, he only cost me five and I couldn't find anybody else. So, um, but I've got some hitters. So the team, Van Aert, Vingigo, Thomas, Bardet, Gronenwegen, Matthews, Fred Wright, um, and Lucas Obsian. And that means we've got one, two, yeah, two friends of the pod in, the, in, my, in my lineup. And let me just click on the next tab to see if I've missed anything else out. That's it. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've still got Geraint Thomas as a stage winner bonus. Can I swap that, Niall? Oh, yeah, you can swap that for every stage. I've never, t- <laughs> I, I've never done it. Right, I thought you just had one. So how do I do it? Do I just drag it? What do I do? <laughs> um, I think, if, are you using the, the website or the app? I, I'm on the website. See the assigned stage winner bonus above their name? Yep. Ah, right. I'm, I'm going to assign. Oh no, because it's a mountain stage tomorrow, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to assign. Oh, no. Do you know what? I'm going to go Thomas because it drops down at the top. Yeah, I'm staying, I'm staying with Thomas. Well, thank you very much for listening, folks. Um, that was a lot of fun, even... I mean, it's really cheered me up, actually, doing this pod, because the room is, as I said, ever so slightly depressing. But I feel enlightened. Um, it was a lot of fun. But don't forget to like, subscribe, and recommend this podcast to anybody that you think would appreciate this angle on the cycling world. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, why not write a review? But, of course, only if you enjoyed it. Um, my ego couldn't really take a bad review uh, oh and before I go on Niall in his wisdom wants you all to hear what he has to put up with it's a behind the scenes clip of behind the scenes um, quite meta really it's a voice note that I left in this morning about recording these very links hey Niall um, yes mate that's absolutely fine um, pain in the arse this morning is me being in another hotel so I've, I've so I went out last night with the lads but not, not with the lads the team um, they had to ride 6Ks to meet them, so I'm now riding back after a heavy night. Um, but I'm probably 20 minutes from my hotel now. So what I'll do, I'll send you the remaining little bits to slot in and just write for. But uh, yeah, um, 11, 11.30 your time, 12.30, 12 o'clock my time would be great, if that's okay, buddy. Let me know if that's cool. Oh, I can see Mickey D's. Flipping heck. I'm going to go there first. <laughs> Cheerio! <laughs> I didn't realise there was one. I could do a poo and have a, a coffee. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff. So that literally was me, um, yeah, re- uh, responding to, to Niall's instructions because um, we are on the road. It's a lot of fun, um, but I was desperate for a poo 
and 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 I saw the golden arches and went in. Had a very nice. Had a Lipton's tea as well um, to set on that bacon sandwich to set me off. Right then, um, I'm off to go for a 45 minute bike ride. I'm just opening up the curtain. It's well, it's not changed, is it? It's boiling hot out there. Uh, so I'm going to go for a spin on the Brompton, maybe 45 minutes, buzz up a couple of climbs, and then I'm going to come back. Um, and as I said to you before, go to Le Clerc and have a look around there um, and enjoy its air conditioning and dairy section. And then after that, I'm going to come back to my hotel and ride back into beautiful Carcassonne because it is absolutely lovely. It's this walled city. It's, if you've ever, if you've never been, um, look it up first uh, and it's worth a visit. It's, it's very, very special indeed, especially at sunset. It was magnificent last night when we had, went out for a meal. Um, and next up, so yes, that's what I'm doing today. And I'll be speaking to you all and wrapping up the Tour de France uh, on Monday. So the race finishes Sunday and we'll do a bit more podding on Monday. So um, all the best and I'll catch you then. <laughs>